Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. A couple of weeks ago in our main service, um, it was the snow week, so if you, didn't, if you weren't here during that week, um, why you can go to the internet, newlifeeckley.com forward slash prophecy, and you can hear that. And, and uh, what it, I'm not going to repeat it because I can't, I don't remember it that well, um, but there was an emphasis on being willing. And God had been dealing with me about this for some time, and I had been um, writing about it and, and doing a little bit of work inside just my own, just like what you would do when you study for your own personal devotions. And so I was doing that and had a little bit of, of, of just revelation. And so what I'm going to talk about over the next several weeks in Sunday school is what, we've enti- what I've entitled soul willingness. Soul willingness. And it'll become clear, hopefully, within the first few minutes of what we talk about, where that all came from. But if, if you would, please, just look at verse number 19 of chapter 1. Isaiah 1 and verse 19 And notice it says, if, remember whenever you see if in the Bible, it is a conditional word. It likely has a representative original word. And so it it means to put a condition or it means to, to speak to you in a conditional way. So if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. And so what I want you to process with me here. For the next probably two months, let's just say, this, this part of November through the first of the year, because that was the time frame within that prophecy. So I want you to process with me your own understanding of, of your willingness. This is not about my willingness. It's, it's not about our collective willing, willingness. This is about your willingness and, and each of us as individuals. So look at it again. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. This, this part of, of the book of Isaiah is actually spoken to the children of Israel. And it starts, obviously, back in verse number 1, where it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Asa, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This is over the course of four kings' reign. And, and Israel, Judah, Judah is, is the southern kingdom that includes Jerusalem. Israel was the northern kingdom. And, and uh, so this is about that time of these four kings. It, it happened over an extraordinarily long period of time um, that one prophet, Isaiah, would, would be uh, the main guy. So if you'll notice then, he, he, he talks to them, and he, and he says in verse number four, he says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. This understanding that's happening right here is Isaiah through as a prophecy through God God saying to Isaiah Isaiah saying to the people that this is where this nation is not our nation this is where Israel is now I don't know how much of this to give you keep in mind that when you read the Old Testament you have to pay attention to who it's to 
you want to interpret Old Testament, New Testament stuff, pay attention to who it's to. Now, if it's to Israel, it's not to you. Okay, so you can't take it like this absolute, this is what it is, but it presents a principle of how God deals with, in this case, wayward people. So again, who is it to? Who can it be for? And it takes a level of spirit-led interpretation to process this. And so a lot of times what people do is they just see it in the Bible. And, and for example, you all may have a, a, a plaque or a cup in your house that says the Lord knows his plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and give you a good end and all that kind of stuff. That was spoken to Israel during a time of 70 years of captivity. It's actually extraordinarily negative. But we put it up on our walls and on our cups to prove the positive nature of God. It's true that he is, but it's to Israel. But inside of it are some four things for you. So you can take those principles, right? Any of you been in captivity for 70 years? Any of you planning on being in captivity? Because that prophecy there in Jeremiah actually explains when Israel gets released from that captivity. And so you can't just lay it over the top. You have to have a level of wisdom to, to interpret and process what he's saying for us. Okay? So, for example, if you go into the book of Daniel, sorry, I'm, I, I, I told myself I had to go really slow today. And so it may seem less joined as you would like it to be but all of these things will likely help you process what we're going to teach over the next six or eight weeks in the book of Daniel chapter 9 we see a prophecy about end time events it's called the abomination of desolation you'll see it if you look you know Jesus talks about it Revelation talks about it and we might very well be living very close to that time but what happens is in Daniel chapter 9, about verse 24, 25, 26, it's not important where it is. It's important that you understand how this works. He says, this time is decreed for Daniel's people, Daniel's holy city, and Daniel's nation. Now, you may not know what that is, but... Daniel's people are the Jews. They were in captivity to the Babylonian Empire, and his holy city is Jerusalem, and his nation is Israel. It's not us, right? And so when you read those things, you say, oh, this happens and that happens, and you've got to have the perspective that enables you to see these things so that you don't put yourself in the wrong position, People who don't interpret Daniel chapter 9 right are pretty sure they're going to have to suck it up and make it through the tribulation. Yet what God does is turn, now I got it, is turn the time clock back to Jewish time. When that happens, when the church leaves the earth, and the Jews essentially, the Jewish nation is essentially the one of, of record for God to look at. There will only be 30 days in every month. <laughs> so when you read that, see, there's prophecy in the Old Testament that says, for 1,280 days, right? 1,200 and what kind of days? 1,280 
Jewish days. Why does that make a difference? Because so many people are trying to interpret what's supposed to happen in the end times without understanding who it was written to and who it can be for. Sometimes the two and the four are the same thing. Right? This is not for you. The Bible says in Titus that you have not been subject to wrath. God didn't create you through, recreate you through Jesus Christ to suffer his wrath. He poured his wrath out on Jesus. You will, you will never experience the wrath of God. You will watch it happen, but you'll never experience it. If you don't understand those things through interpretive wisdom, then there are times where you go, oh my. See, that's why in today's spiritual economy we live in, there are a great number of Christians who are extraordinarily scared because of what's happening in Israel. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to that, but if this is the end times, wake up and smell the coffee here. It's not for you. Israel is that focus, not us. You say, well, what are, they're going to bomb us. No, I don't know, but it's not in the Bible. You cannot find America without really wiggling in the wind. You can't find America in the Bible. So just be careful. So when we, when we read these things, we have to take this understanding. So soul willingness is about our willingness to process through God rather than through our own desires. Your personal willingness affects how you see things. So for an example, if you think the, the world has gotten really bad and it's just darker by the moment, then you'll be very willing to see God as a punisher. You want God to fix some stuff. You know, beat people up and take names. And yet, what the Bible tells us about that is different than what our desire helps us see. So, <laughs> the other side of willingness is obedience. How many of you know that God isn't looking for obedience as a work? If you do this, God does this. That's obedience as a work. You understand that God loves you while you were yet a sinner, sending Jesus to die for you when you had nothing to offer. New Testament Christianity is Jesus coming to you at the Father's request with you bringing nothing to the table. You are completely dependent upon God's work through Jesus Christ. So obedience in the Old Testament and obedience in the New Testament are somewhat different. In the Old Testament, if you sacrificed correctly, if you threw the blood around of the animals, of the sacrifices around correctly, God would essentially overlook your sin for a calendar year. A calendar year. In the New Testament, the blood of Jesus is shed and God overlooks your sin after accepting that gift for eternity. There's a difference. So willingness for us out of this and obedience for us out of this is not a works 
based, we're not doing this so God can do these things. So let's look at it as we keep going here. He says, look in verse number nine. He says, unless the Lord of hosts had left us left to us a very small remnant. Now, this is talking about God saving some holy people behind the scenes. We would have become like Sodom, and we have been, we'd have been made like Gomorrah. We'd have literally been cons- completely consumed unless God would have saved some Jews back. Now, you say, why is that important? It helps us process and understand what God is trying to show us here. Notice then he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. This is talking about the rulers that are ruling the nation or the, 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 the area of Judah. And he's comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Unless he would have saved some, they'd have been completely those kind of people. He says in verse number 11, to what purpose is the multitudes of your sacrifices to me? Sacrifices in the Old Testament always imply obedience, right? Bring the turtle dove, bring this thing, bring the heave offering, bring these things and and do these things with it. Sacrifices always represent obedience, okay? Says the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of, of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. He's beginning to explain to, to them why verse 19 exists. He's saying to them, listen, you do all the right things, but your heart is not willing. Your heart is not willing. And so he's going to take this whole passage here talking about a specific nation a specific people and then he's going to allow us as new testament believers take the principle from that and live our life in accordance with it so notice it says who has required this is verse number 12 who has required this from your hand who's requiring you to do these things you see he's asking for a willingness and an obedience so here's the thing i want you to understand about willingness Willingness is a positive or a favorable inclination to respond to authority. A positive inclination or positively inclined, tilted towards to respond to authority. And here's the caveat. Resulting in contentment. Resulting in contentment. Don't ever leave this out of your willingness definition. A willing heart spiritually is a content heart. Many of us are willing because we have an end result that we want. And so when we don't see the end result we want, we're no longer content. Many of us according to our belief systems, voted correctly (laughs) in the past election. But the end result was not what you wanted. So your willingness, willingness and obedience to do the right thing, didn't lead to contentment because you didn't get what we wanted. True contentment is not based on results. It's based on a person. I believe we're headed to another season where the church is going to be tested in the area of contentment. So our willingness needs to produce contentment that is based on the person of Jesus Christ rather than the results of the world. Now, please don't read too much into this. 
This is not a prophecy about who wins elections. This is not a cut at anybody who's, who's political. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm merely trying to get you to understand that when you overly react based on a lack of contentment of what happens, your willingness is in question. We're only willing if we get what we want. Come on now. Come on. You, listen, you do this in your marriage. If you're not getting what you want in your marriage, you know, one of you is a bomb builder, the other one is a bomb blower upper. And so somebody quietly builds the bomb from behind. You understand that, that extending the fuse doesn't fix the bomb. It's still going to blow up. You need to move the doo-doo before it hits the fan. How do you do that in relationship? You've got to be obedient. Be willing to lay your life down. See, willingness is not based on getting what you want. It's based on the contentment that comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Are we together? And so if you're going to work on this with me over the next couple of months, you're going to have to use this definition. Because if not, the minute you don't get what you want, God will be pointing out to you the lack of empowered willingness that you have. The most difficult journey any Christian has is the 18 inches between the frontal lobe of their brain and their heart. It's the toughest journey you'll ever take because what makes sense to you in reasonable, rational thought process in the frontal lobe of your brain or in the middle of your brain where, where all that stuff makes sense, that little walnut-sized thing on the inside of your brain that says pleasure and all that kind of stuff and releases dopamine and all that kind of it has to make it down here. You have to live not from your intellect, not from your ability to process this thing that says, well, I've done what I'm supposed to do. And we're looking for the results, right? We're, I've been obedient, and that obedience is supposed to produce these results. When it doesn't produce these results, we get pretty wound up in most cases. And the reason we get wound up in most cases is because our contentment is based on getting what we want. And amen. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Over the course of weeks, we're going to talk about this. Willingness has to be able to see what God is doing in the land as good. Willingness has to be able to see what God is doing in the land as good. I want to, again, take us back to times where the government was too involved in our, in, our, in our stuff. And we didn't see what they did as good. I'm not saying it was good or it wasn't good. That's not the point. The point is, how do we adjust our spiritual sight to see that something is good in the long term through God creating contentment? Can I tell you that a good portion of what we all went through in all of that has produced something in us that is good. We've sorted out, almost every church has sorted out what it would take for them to be told to close again. You say, well, that was a bad thing we went through. No, it was a good thing because it proved to us that our contentment was based on meeting together with God. You can't tell us not to do that anymore. 
You have to be willing to see what's happening in the land, not just your land, but in the world, as good. Are we together? Because the Bible says in James chapter 1, let's just turn there. James um, chapter 1. In verse uh, 16, this is after the, 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 the conversation about how temptation and, and sin you know, brings forth death. It says in verse 16, it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now look what he's getting ready to tell us. Every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. I want to point out something to you. Everything that God is pouring out on the earth today fits this category. It's our job through our willingness to see it as good. The, I can sometimes see it's good because like even if we're in the middle of the end times, you know, preparation stuff, man, that's a good thing. Jesus is going to return. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, man. It's great. But perfect. Perfect means that it does not require anything else to make it right. There's nothing missing from it. Does that make sense? Okay, so when we take our willingness and adjust it according to God to produce contentment. Now, don't miss that. To produce contentment. Con contentment isn't you just laying back saying, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. No, contentment is the ability to see God at work when what's happening isn't what you wanted to happen. You know God is at work. When your children stray from what you think they should be doing, when you see them not serving or not, you know, not, not, not being as Christian as you'd like them to be, it's really hard to see the good of that. It's really hard to see it as perfect. Now, I'm not saying what they're doing is perfect. I'm saying the work that God is doing in them is perfect. It will not be lacking when we're able to see it manifested. Does that make sense? So willing and obedience works together, and we have to learn how to see with the kind of spiritual contentment that says that everything that God is pouring out on the earth is good and perfect. It'll change. I'm telling you, I've met some real negative Nellies in, in churches. I mean, to tell you, they're pretty sure we're all going to get crispy critter any time now. Listen, what God is doing in the earth, even if you don't think you like it, is good and perfect. You say, well, and, and here's what happens. People think because this doesn't fit their narrative and they can't understand it, that it can't possibly be good and perfect. This is the devil. Please settle with me this morning. Your understanding that the devil is not as powerful as your God. And that Jesus Christ pulled the teeth of a growling lion. He is completely inept to have power over what's happening unless we give it to him. Are you together? See, so you have to be willing to accept the responsibility of operating in God's authority. If you don't operate in God's authority, the devil will have a zoo circus with you. I mean, the merry-go-round and the roller coaster and all that kind of stuff, yeah, there'll be all kinds of stuff happening in your life, all because you didn't necessarily adjust to what God warned you about leading up to a year that we have no knowledge of yet. 
We have no knowledge of, of 2024. Quit making up what you think is going to happen. So much stuff can happen. I mean, can you imagine living in Israel, down by the Gaza Strip, just minding your own business? And one day, one day, a thousand rockets are fired from your, you know, three blocks away from the little fence area where, you know, the wrong side of the track people, right? And they shot a thousand missiles into Israel. Can you imagine living there and going, this is not good. I'm not trying to judge the effects of the missile. I'm trying to judge the effects of a God who loves his people so much that he does things behind the scenes that they can't understand so that when they do understand it, they say, thank you, God. They'll rise up and give thanks to the Father for what God did. And you got, that's willingness, people of God. Many of you have been through really hard things in your life. Some of you have said to me, I, I don't ever want to go through things like this again, but I will never give up what I learned in that hard time. Is that good? Is that a perfect gift? You might not have been able to receive that any other way. And I'm not saying God does the one thing so he can get that. See, that's works. I'm saying for whatever reason, we live in a sin-filled world, stuff happens, but God is not at a loss for how to deal with his people. That's what we're talking about. Are we, are we okay? Okay, so what, where are we talking about this happening? We're talking about this happening in our souls. The, your soul is the invisible part of you. Okay, are we, all, are we all on the same page? Spirit, soul, body. Do you know enough scripture to know that your flesh, your body, is not designed to agree with God? Did you know that? Your, your flesh is at, is at enmity with God. Your spirit, remade or rebirthed in the image of God, is always willing. You never have to convince your spirit man to line up with God. Never. The spirit, uh, Matthew, uh, put this up please, Matthew 26, um, 41. Let's see. La -dee da Yes, that's it. Do you see the last half? This is when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He took some people with him. He, he left them here. He said, watch and pray. Then he took his two other guys with him, set them there and say, watch and pray. And then he went off and he prayed. He poured out his heart. And he, this is where, God's, where Jesus says to God, oh, God, is there any other way to do this? Let this cup pass from me. Right? I mean, any other way to do this? How many of you know the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was God's plan? I mean, how do you do that? When you look at that, and you're, you're there in the, in, the, in the first century, you know, watching Jesus, and all of a sudden you see the Roman soldiers, you know, toting him off to a hill to be killed in between two, two real criminals, you think, what is God doing? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, or 54 and verse 10, I'm, I'm right on the 10, I'm not sure about the 53 or the 54, but it won't be hard for you to find the difference. It says that it pleased God... To bruise his son. See, I can't get my mind around that. I'm not willing to see that as a good and perfect gift. 
It looks like a bad and needing gift. 53 and 10, thank you. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. Made his soul, do you see that? Made his soul an offering for sin. He made the part. So, is it okay if I go slow? When you look at Genesis and Adam and Eve, after they got kicked out of the garden, God said to Eve, your seed shall, uh, uh, your seed shall, um, your seed shall have his heel bruised and, and, and mash the, the head of, of the enemy, something along that, that, that way. You can go look at it. It's in the, first, it's in the third chapter of Genesis. Now, now think with me for a second. The general aspect, this is all adults, right? The general aspect and understanding of reproduction is that the male has the seed and the female has the receptor. But God said to Eve, your seed. He said to the woman, your seed. She doesn't have any. Skip forward to Luke chapter 1 in the birth of Jesus Christ. And Mary was given a seed from the Holy Spirit. And that seed, John chapter 1 verse 14 says is the Word of God. The Word of God was the seed, the, the container of DNA that produced Jesus Christ in the flesh. He had a soul just like you have a soul. And that soul, according to Matthew 26, where if you just get back to that for me, would you please, guys? According to Matthew 26, his soul was what was at issue here. He's saying, please let it pass. His spirit, which is God... His flesh, which he's got under control by this, you know, but still, <laughs> let me out of here. His soul was the offering, according to Isaiah, for sin. His willingness to follow after what God had for him created the understanding that we have for soul willingness. For soul willingness. So the soul is literally the production room of will, intellect, and emotion. See, your flesh has a control room called emotion. Did you know that? If you hit your finger with a hammer, emotion is coming out. Right? If you don't get what you want in your flesh... Emotion tries to come out. Good-hearted Christians can have all kinds of emotional meltdowns because their flesh gets wound up. Standing long, too long at Walmart, and your flesh will produce an emotional response. That's not your soul. Your soul produces will, intellect, right? Those kinds of things. Now, is your soul not involved? No. Your soul takes its lead from the flesh when it's not redeemed, takes its lead from the flesh, and jumps right into being controlled by emotion. 
If you don't get what you want as you pray, emotions will cause you to respond negatively to the God you serve. Your prayer list is not a shopping list for heaven. Because you see, sometimes we as parents are smart enough to not give our children what we know they won't handle well. Where'd you get that idea? See, God does that all the time. I've been teaching about it for 12 weeks in the main service. You don't have the capacity to carry what God has, what Jesus has for you. You've got to increase the capacity. Why? So you can carry it. See, sometimes he's got so much more to say to us, but he doesn't give it to us. And I'm not saying he's withholding. I'm saying a gracious father doesn't throw the keys to the jet to a kid who don't know how to fly. Amen. I mean, you you say, well, if, if you've raised enough kids or watched your grandkids, there's an age in there where they think they can do everything. And they'll actually, you'll be the worst parent in the world when you don't throw them the keys because you know better than them. Because of my previous occupation, you know, 45 years ago, I used to bake a lot. And you can't believe the number of people who said to me, Glenn, will you teach me how to bake? I can teach anybody how to bake. But I cannot teach you how to invest patience in baking. If you want to bake with me, you better set aside four hours of planned patience. Well, I don't want that. Nope, you want the pie to make itself in 15 minutes and move on to something else. There's not a willingness to invest in your soul. I I baked a lot, a lot. And there are times where I'm across the kitchen, in this very kitchen, across the kitchen looking at the, I use these great big bowls to, to, to bake bread in, great big bowls, and I look across there, and there's a towel across the top of it, and all I'm waiting for is for that dough to rise and start pushing up on the towel, right? Y'all, any of you ever, ever, ever baked? It's awesome. When it starts pushing up on the towel, but when it doesn't, and it doesn't meet your expectation By the way, I know why it doesn't meet your expectation. Temperature, humidity have an effect on baking. Right? (laughs) And you say, why isn't it raising? Well, because it doesn't like the temperature or the humidity. Right? So what do you do? Well, you can't put it in the oven yet. Because if you put it in the oven now, it'll kill the yeast. It'll be, you can make hockey pucks. Maybe hard. Hard as a rock. You've got to have a patience built into your obedience to the recipe. I can tell you off the top of my head how to make six or eight loaves of bread right now. Seven cups of flour, two cups of dry milk, a cup of sugar, some salt, three cups of water cup of butter, three eggs, and a third a cup of yeast. Mix it together. It'll be sticky. Put some more flour in it until it feels like a newborn baby butt. (laughs) 
you know, soft and kind of tacky feeling. And then put it in a bowl with butter and cover it and watch it. And in the next four hours, if it works right, you will have six or eight loaves of bread. Yeah, yeah, you should try that. You have to have four hours. And you have to be willing to invest the four hours. How many of you know when you get willing, sometimes your willingness runs out before the time clock is up? And so then your willingness produces, your lack of willingness produces some stuff, doesn't it? Amen. Let's keep going here. So the soul is the invisible part of the man that is, that is the seat or the production area of these things. It produces those things. The, the flesh wants to attach those things and turn them negative, And the spirit wants the cooperation of those to turn them positive. That's why willingness is the positive inclination to respond to authority with the end result being contentment. Willingness is positively, you know, responding or positively inclined to respond to authority to produce contentment. Don't miss this. Because we think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, willing to be, I'm willing to be willing. It has to produce contentment. When the, when, the, when, the, when the thing is over, it's a good and perfect gift that God poured out. And so you have to see it that way. Or, or you won't eat of the good of the land. Because you'll become a whiner and a complainer and a murmurer. Are we together? I know this is hard, but, but I think God gave us this in, 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 with an understanding that, that we need to adjust because there's things coming we can't yet see. Now, God says what's coming is good and perfect. If you get your heart set, your willingness set right, everything that comes is going to be seen as good and perfect. Or you're going to judge based on your own misinterpretation of things. Right? Can I help you with the political situation that we're in? It's entirely possible that what you all saw as negative and, and not right produced in us, it's possible, hear me, it produced in us an unwillingness to ever go that way again. Maybe. Well, it's terrible. Right, we've complained our way for two and a half, three years, three years in November. We've complained our way through this whole thing. Well, it can't possibly be God. Okay, maybe it isn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But when God began dealing with me about this, my contentment level shot up to heaven level. It just went poof like that. And I went, okay, God, do your stuff. Only he can do it. You say, well, are you sure? Well, no, but I'm content. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm content. Thank you. So, again, in Matthew chapter 26, it says, The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Notice, and, and that should be interpreted this way, the flesh is weak in regard to spiritual things. Your flesh can never produce spiritual things, nor can it accurately understand spiritual things. Now, I've always heard people teach and say, well, just start, you know, even if you start in the flesh, God can get you in the spirit. That's the biggest bunch of hooey I've ever heard in all my life. You cannot corrupt your way to blessing. 
Well, I'm going to start in, over here in, in the spirit or in the, in the flesh. Listen, when you start in the flesh, you will create an attitude. Anybody ever had God deal with your attitude before? Wow. You start in the flesh and when things don't go right, you just pitch a fit. Now, you don't have to, most Christians don't pitch fits on the outside. Are you aware of that? So you don't, don't look up here like, oh, I've never done that. You pitch a fit regularly inside yourself. Some of you pitch a fit inside yourself at church. I was, had one, one guy, oop, two minutes, but I'm still going to tell the story. One guy who taught for us, and he got so wound up over a baby crying in our church that he stopped and said, I'll wait for you to leave. I wanted to slap him. If you ain't got no babies in your church, you ain't got no future for your church. And, there, and it, listen, if, if you're like, like, you know, this deep in the spirit because a baby can knock you out, recognize that your flesh just doesn't like it. And you say things like, on the inside now, you say just like what you say in the grocery store when you see a kid acting up. Well, somebody needs to paddle his bottom. That's an attitude. That's an attitude. Because if you had God's attitude, it's possible he would encourage you to go over there and help them in love, not say, hey, you need to spank your kid. I saw grandma in church the other day. You know how I know it was a grandma? Every little kid had their own shopping cart. Parents don't let kids do that. <laughs> everybody had one. I mean, them kids, you know, grandma would say, we want one of these. And everybody, everybody wanted to get it, right? You know, put it, put it in their bag. They had three shopping carts. That's the grandma. What's the difference? They, were really, they didn't really care about the three shopping carts. They were there to enjoy fellowship with their grandchildren. Not to get groceries. See, for me as a grandpa... Almost everything is about enjoying the grandkids. I don't care. One of my grandkids come up to me the other day. and Actually, they came up to their parent and said, said can I have uh, some popcorn? We're at an athletic event. And, of course, what did the dad say? I said, you asked the wrong person. <laughs> Ask your dad if it's okay if grandpa buys you a bag of popcorn. Now, see, I painted him into a corner. Is the popcorn going to hurt anything? I mean, if they really say no, it's okay. I'm not going to go out. And, but they didn't say no. And so I handed the, the, the grandchild a dollar. And then they came back and said, my friend wants a bag of popcorn. <laughs> do, do you understand their willingness to ask under the understanding of a generous heart? See, if we don't see God with a generous heart, I'm not God, but if we don't see God with a generous heart, we won't see him as being totally good. Good and perfect. Amen. I'm sorry. I got, uh, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take this apart over the weeks to come. We're going to talk in Romans chapter eight over a long period of time. We're actually going to use Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two says to possess your soul in patience, to possess your soul in patience. It literally means to keep it reined in, to keep your soul reined in. So just write this in your notes. Luke chapter um, um, 21, I said 2. I got 
because I was in a hurry there, hold up my stop sign. Uh, 21 and 19, and it's talking about end times events. The, the 10 verses before that are all about end times events. And he says, and possess your soul in patience. Go read it. It'll challenge you. Amen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.